Welcome to Shabbat Shalom. This is your host, Sam Frankart, and this is episode 61. Today, we're continuing the study in Revelation 21. We began by looking at verses 1 through 8 last week, and the remaining verses in Revelation 21 shift to focus on the new Jerusalem. And it's this stunning description of the new city of God. The vision is symbolic and shows that the believer's new home with God will not be disappearing or disappointing in the least. So what I'm going to do today is study those verses with you. So we'll be reading verses 9 through 27, so 9 through the end. So it's quite a few verses, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and follow along. As always, I'm reading out of the NIV. So reading Revelation 21, starting in verse 9. Also, um, before I read, just a side note, it's really windy out, and the outside of the cabin I'm staying in has quite a few things that are blowing around, so I apologize if you hear things squeaking or moving. It's crazy windy. So, um, yes, (laughs) just wanted to mention that before I get started. Anyways, Revelation 21, starting in verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the twelve gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its walls, and it was 144 cubits thick by human measurement, which which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
So John watches this gigantic city descend to the new earth created by God. The city was 100 or 1,400 miles square with 200 foot high walls. It's made of pure gold and was decorated with all kinds of beautiful gems. And we read that its gate opened in every direction. At the very center of the city is God, the enthroned lamb. And we also read that the light from his throne illuminated the entire city. It's almost Christmas time as I'm researching this and recording it, and I had the opportunity to stay with my friend Brittany and her family for the last couple of weeks in Austin, Texas. So the day before I left, we put up Christmas lights on the outside of her house, and when her boys got home from school, they saw the house all lit up for Christmas, and they shrieked with excitement at the sight. And then it was the next morning. So before they left for school, Brittany's oldest, Chris, he looks at the house, and with dismay, he said, the lights aren't on. And Brittany responded by telling him that the lights don't need to be on during the day because there's already light coming from the sun. And it would be hard to see the lights on the house in the light of day. And this is what this picture of God's light makes me think of. While we're here on earth, we're surrounded by brokenness, sadness, corruption, fear, anxiety, anger, and darkness. And we are told to be the light. We shine so, so bright in a dark world, but one day we will get to bask in the light of God's perfection and glory. We won't need to turn on the Christmas lights because it will always be day. All right, let's talk through some of these verses. Actually, let's talk through all of them. So we're going to start off in verse one. So John was addressed by one of the seven angels. And back in Revelation 17, verse 1, one of the seven angels had taken John to see the great prostitute, um, Babylon. And here, John is shown the bride, referring to the church, the believers, and the new Jerusalem. In contrast to the great prostitute who symbolizes the evil system and the people who rebelled against God, the bride represents those who remained faithful to Jesus and are now prepared to join him. And passages like this make some wonder if the New Jerusalem is a literal place at all. Some suggest that it's just a really exotic symbol of the church, the Bride of Christ. And some argue that the heavenly city is literal, but that it is called the Bride because it is the place where all God's people are gathered. In verse 10, John is taken away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. From this vantage point, he sees the city coming down out of heaven from God. Verses 10 through 14 describe the beauty of the city. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And since this is a symbolic vision, it's not meant to be taken literally. John is using natural human terms to describe something supernatural. He's describing heaven's physical characteristics to which there is incomparable beauty. The first thing that impressed John when he saw the city was its glory. The glory was expressed in the radiant light that was shining. So the city has no lights in it. It is the radiance of God that gives it the glory and the light. John didn't even have electric or neon lights to describe this, so he used this picture of a clear jewel reflecting the light. 
Jasper had been used earlier in Revelation 4, 3 to describe the appearance of God himself. After he describes the brilliance of the city, John describes a great and high wall. In John's day, most cities had walls around them, but walls were installed primarily for defensive purposes. Here, the wall wasn't needed for defense because there were no more enemies. Rather, the great and high wall gave the city definition. It also shows that some will be excluded from the city since only the righteous can enter. The wall had 12 gates with three gates on each side and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. The names of the tribes on the gates communicate the unity and heritage that the people of God have with Israel. God will never forget the tribes of Israel, even unto eternity. We also read in verse 14 that the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundations are an eternal testimony to the apostles and their permanent place in God's plan. It's important to understand the symbolism that the church rests on the work of the apostles, the first followers of Jesus. In verses 15 through 17, the angel measures the city, and we read about the city's dimensions. One commentary suggests that these measurements are symbolic of a place that will hold all of God's people. The measurements are all multiples of 12, the number of God's people. There were 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles who started the church. The walls are 144 cubits thick, which is 12 by 12. And then there are 12 layers in the wall and 12 gates in the city. Also, the height, width, and length are all the same, 12,000 stadia. It's interesting to note that the 12,000 stadia converts to about 1,400 miles, which would have been roughly the length of the Roman Empire. Also, the New Jerusalem is a perfect cube, which is reminiscent of the holy place, in the temple, suggesting that the entire city is the holy place. One other note on the size, it's enormous. 1,400 miles is the same distance from Florida to Maine, and the square footage would have been approximately the size of the moon. So this is just, it's too much to even fathom. It's enormous. And I wonder if John is writing this just to even communicate the impossibility of even fathoming this whole space. So it's, yeah, huge. Um, verses 18 through 21, they describe the beauty of the structure and the design of the city. When we read of jasper and pure gold and all kinds of precious stones that I don't even know how to pronounce, we should take these as literal representations, yet they express realities of another world. We can gain a brief glimpse of what John saw, but we can't even begin to see it in fullness until we see it with our own eyes. We read that the foundations of the wall were adorned with 12 precious stones. And some suggest that this imagery comes from the breastplate of the high priest in Exodus 28 verses 17 through 20, which had 12 precious stones on it. The identification of the stones are different, but this is likely the source of the imagery, indicating that what had once been the high priest's privilege alone had become part of the very foundation of the city of God, now made available to all his people. In Exodus, the high priest would enter the most holy place only once each year on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation. 
The most holy place was the place of God's presence. In the new Jerusalem, all of God's people will constantly be in his presence. Nothing will ever separate us from him again. In the dimensions and descriptions, if they seem confusing or impossible, there are two main principles to keep in mind. First, we must understand the ideas communicated in the, are in the details, such as the glory, beauty, and splendor. And second, we must understand that this is the city whose architect and maker is God, so we should expect it to be beyond our comprehension. Alright, verse 22. I did not see its temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In the ancient world, it was unthinkable to have a great city without many different temples. It's like saying today, I saw a great city, but I saw no bank in it. Or, I saw a great city, but I saw no shopping mall in it. Here, the temple was not removed, but expanded. Everything and every place is holy and the dwelling place of God. Before Jesus, the temple was a prophecy. In the Christian era, God's people are his temple. In the millennium, the temple will be a memorial, and here, the temple is everywhere. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its light. In verse 1, we read that God had remade the heavens. Perhaps when he did so, he didn't recreate a sun or a moon. Isaiah had written about this as well in Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. He wrote, No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, or the moon to give its light by night. For the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set, your moon will not go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. So God will be the light in the new Jerusalem. Light represents what is good, pure, true, and holy. Darkness represents what is sinful and evil. The statement, God is its light, means that the city will be enveloped by God, who is perfectly holy and true. Light speaks of joy. In the scriptures, light and joy go together. Light speaks of beauty, because without light, there is no beauty. And light speaks of knowledge. In heaven, we will all know God as he knows us. Verses 24 and 25. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. When we read that the nations will walk by its light, the term nations refers to God's people. This shows the culmination of the conversion offering to all nations. This does not mean universal salvation, as some have suggested, but that God has chosen from every tribe, nation, people, and language who will be part of his great city. We also read that the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. What about these kings of the earth? Who are they? What does this mean? This is difficult to understand, and different commentators have different suggestions. Hawking writes, how encouraging to note that not all were destroyed when the nations came to do battle against Jerusalem and the Lord himself. There will also be kings of the earth who will be part of the eternal state. And Alfred adds to this by writing, Among the mysteries of this new heaven and earth, this is set forth to us, that besides the glorified church, there shall be still 
dwelling on the renewed earth nations, organized by kings and saved by means of the influences of the heavenly city. We also read that the gates, the city's gates, will never be shut. And this doesn't imply that outside of the New Jerusalem, unsaved people are still roaming around. Instead, this pictures a city with open gates on a new earth where believers will dwell throughout. Ancient cities shut their gates at night for security purposes. However, since there will be no night, and since all evil has been eradicated, the gates will stay open constantly. Alright, let's finish out this chapter with verses 26 and 27. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. These last two verses don't indicate that evil will still be present in some realm outside the great city. All evil will be gone. Rather, in these verses, John is warning his contemporary readers that they would not be in this glorious place unless their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's all we have for today. Check out the show notes for a commentary to... A link for David Guzik on Revelation 21, as well as other commentaries. We will continue next week with the study in Revelation. I cannot believe it. We are finally in the last chapter, Revelation 22. So join us next week for that. And thank you so much for joining me along this entire journey. You can find me on Instagram at Sam Frankhart. Until then, Shabbat Shalom, Maranatha.